0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 18 called Mark. So let me tell you about Dr. Mark Trollis, MD. He is a board certified OBGYN and reproductive endocrinologist who runs Fertility Care, which is the Center of Assisted Reproduction and Endocrinology in Winter Park, Florida. So as you guys know, this isn't a medical podcast, but the reason that I wanted to talk to Dr. Trollis today is because not only does he treat infertility, he also went through infertility for 10 years with his wife before they adopted their five children. So when it comes to treating infertility and talking about infertility, he gets it because he has been through it himself. Mark also has a book coming out this October called The Fertility Doctor's Guide to Overcoming Infertility. And I wish so much that it was on the shelves when I was going through all of this because I was desperate for something like that. But he and I talk about that and so much more. So without further ado, this is Mark's Infertility Story. Hi, Dr. Trolles. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm so excited.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Allie, and thank you. I really, really want to applaud you for having this podcast and uh, talking about your personal problems. Uh, I'm sure that you're doing such a tremendous service for all the women challenged with fertility, so uh, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much. Well, this is cool because you're coming at this from kind of two different angles, and that was one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you because you went through your own fertility journey with your wife for 10 years. You started specializing in fertility and infertility later. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's a I think it's a little uh, uh, unorthodox track in, in terms of the fact that I knew that I wanted to be a fertility specialist from the first exposure in medical school. Most of my friends and colleagues learned about it. Uh, during their ob residency and start getting interested in doing that. But it was my third year of medical school, and I'm, I'll never forget it, Allie. Uh, we were doing ob learning about ob I didn't know what I wanted to go into. I really had no idea. I was thinking about cardiology. My dad had heart disease, and, and that was a little bit too difficult and personal for me. So so I'm doing OB-GYN, and, the, and the, uh, one of the directors said, okay, listen, we have a, a spot open for a week of the infertility service. And I had no idea. I said, I said, sure. I said, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And, and it was literally the aha moment of my life. I could not believe how I felt viewing th- such a personal, intimate problem, the devastation of couples, uh, the, uh, the multiple fields uh, within that specialty of horm- uh, endocrinology, which is hormones, uh, surgery, mm-hmm. uh, psychology, uh, emergencies and and just the the bond that is established there and and the the profound importance of this problem in a, in a woman and a couple's life it, it changed my life forever I said that's it I, I, I was completely convinced that's what I wanted to do and uh, then I just did more electives during my fourth year met my wife during my fourth year of medical school knew she was the one immediately called my mom says, this is it. Uh, and, uh, so we wanted to get married right away, but during residency, uh, it was a little bit more uh, challenging to want to build a family in the beginning years because you're running on empty and you're you're working crazy hours. Uh, but it all started. We started to try to have children toward the end of residency and Uh there you go.
0: And how did you know your wife was the one?
1: Hmm. Oh, uh, I've, I've told this story so many times, and I guess now it would be considered stalking, but uh, <laughs> I, was, I, I, was in, uh, I was late for one of my classes as a fourth-year medical student. I was going to radiology class, and I see her uh, walking down the hallway to the hospital, and I had to go to the medical education building, and I couldn't try to track her down. I had to go to class, but that was a Monday. And the next two days, I had my friends and I looking all over the hospital to see if she worked there. Wow. Uh, so she, so it was a Wednesday afternoon, two days later. We're talking outside. She had taken a later lunch, I found out uh, uh, after. And I'm sitting and talking to my friends, and I see her walking by, and I told my friends, there she is, got to go. <laughs> and walked, her, walked across and followed her into the elevator. I don't remember too much after that. I guess I was just so nervous. She told me that... I said some funny things going down on the elevator. And as soon as I opened the door, I had no idea what to say, but I had to stop her. So I asked her where nuclear medicine was. And, it was. and she says, I'm sorry, I just started working here, I don't know. And there was a big sign for nuclear medicine. I had no other line, nothing else to say, but I was completely honest. I says, look, I says, it's right over there. I didn't know how to say hello. I, I thought you were nice and I wanted to get to know you. So we went to the cafeteria, I took her out to lunch, um, as a medical student, we're ready to pay. I didn't have enough money. Uh, she uh, was laughing about that. I had to have her help me pay for the lunch. Um, but that night, we talked to Ali for about seven hours. Wow. We talked about, I guess, if, if you had to have a guide to what to talk about to make sure that you're compatible for the rest of your life, we could have written it. Because we talked about everything, family, religion, how many children, um, what our goals are. It was really a beautiful evening. And we rarely have been apart since. And that was uh, in September. We met 30 years ago and we'll be married 29 years.
0: Wow. That sounds great. You said that the thing that you had written that in your third year of your residency, you and your wife stopped contraception and officially started trying to have a family. So how old were you both at that point, And how did it go? Like, were you, was it did you have problems at first or was it you just tried for a while or what happened?
1: Yeah, well, so uh, probably three years uh, into our, our marriage, uh, we started saying, you know, this is the time. And uh, I was, I think, 30 and she was 29. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when I tell my patients and when we talk about these kind of th- things, there are two moments in a woman's life that is that are, during their reproductive years that are, that are profound. One of them is that when they're going to stop contraception and say hey I think it's time that we have a baby mm. and the second one is hey I think there's a problem and that second one can be paralyzing yeah uh, it, it's defining and I know you've you've you, you've gone through that as well so what why at the end of the third year because we were having a little bit more time and we just felt that this was a a, a good time to really start um, I I don't know why I was pessimistic uh, I, I guess you know, in medicine, the more you know, uh, it's it could be sometimes uh, 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 ignorance is bliss in a sense. right. And so I was I just felt after the first month, and God only knows why. I just says, this isn't working. And it was one month, right. You know, but I just I just had a, a funny feeling. Um, you know, when you think about human reproduction, I mean for your listeners, it's not really why is this not happening. If you can think about the numerous processes, biologic uh, in, in intricacies that have to go on. It's amazing it happens at all. Yep. Uh, so I, I just felt that that was the case, but we tried and we kept trying and trying and trying for up to a year. And then we started the journey uh, of going to doctors and that whole process.
0: Okay. It's so funny that you said it's amazing it happens at all because I didn't, you know, I was joking with my one of my girlfriends recently and it was like, you spend your whole life, your teenage years, your 20s, trying not to get pregnant. And you don't realize, you know, you've been taught, you know, have sex once I'm protected and you're gonna get knocked up. But in reality, that's it's so the opposite of that. It's actually very hard. And you can obviously speak to this much better than me, but you're right. It's it's a it's crazy that it happens at all. So I didn't know that. And I'm so glad that I know that now. And you know, we're telling people that. because um, I think it's just one of those things growing up that you, you know, you've you don't realize. Actually, what your body is actually really
1: doing. Yeah, you try to prevent uh, you being responsible. This isn't the right time, and then when you're going to, and then I see the patients. Oh my gosh, in their late 30s, uh, that have pursued career mm-hmm. and they delayed childbearing. And my gosh, the regret and and the looking back on their life and saying, you know, why did I wait? What should I have done? And oh my gosh, it's it's uh, yeah. it's so frustrating. And I and I my heart really. Uh, goes out to to all women uh, who who because I think they have it much more difficult than men. Uh, mm-hmm. They they are one foot in uh, building family and and many of them are one foot into careers, mm-hmm. and the two are uh, sometimes at odds. They're conflicted, uh, so it's not very easy to be able to do those two things. And and I don't want all the men to get upset with me, but it's a I think it's just a, a different type of approach to do this. Uh, women biologically uh, are innately uh, desiring procreation. Um, and, and I think that they just have that always in their mind, uh, even going through careers, is, is when is it time? When can I do this? When, 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 when am I able to plan to build a family? It's really hard.
0: Mm-hmm. So when back to your personal story with you and your wife, when you guys realized you might be looking at infertility how did you feel and what made you realize that? And like, what did you guys
1: do then? You know, not to, not to sound the cliche, but time stops. Mm-hmm. You, you, you really become paralyzed. I don't care how much knowledge you have, what profession you're in. Uh, I was a fertility uh, ready to go into my fellowship in reproductive medicine. So we started uh, the last year of residency, the fourth year of residency, and, and you started getting evaluated. And of course, the, she, she's young. Uh, the fertility doctors know me. Oh, it's going to happen. We're going to do this. So you basically uh, make yourself vulnerable to do a sperm analysis for the man. The woman has to go through uh, a hysterosalpingogram to check her fallopian tubes. Uh, that, that can be uncomfortable depending upon who's doing it. Mm-hmm. She gets poked and probed. She gets blood work. She does ultrasounds. And you, I, I think within a few months, you just can't believe it's happening. You can 't believe that this is now your world. you're in a situation that 90 percent or so of people do it without any uh, difficulty, and you are now one of the special ones. and you join a very elite group mm-hmm. of, of people that are suffering during their journey, and it, it, it just was unbearable. And our story, Ali, is probably rivals a lot of people's worst nightmares uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because uh, not, I, I, I've lived their lives. I, I've, I've not only talked the talk, I've walked the walk, right? right. So uh, you, you go through treatments and then you, you just try to look for a new chapter. You say, okay, this isn't, this isn't working. Now I moved to Connecticut where I did my fellowship in reproductive endocrinology. And you have to expose yourself to new people and new doctors, and go through the same history, and go through that. Um, there's, there's such a paralyzing uh, psychological impact uh, of the couple that are trying to conceive. You are now uh, uh, essentially um, isolated, vulnerable. Uh, you don't fit in. You feel really, uh, people have described feeling like a failure, broken. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you just can't relate to anything normal anymore. Did you uh, feel a, that way? Oh my gosh, I, I was suffocating. Uh, I just could not believe this was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And the lo- us, I'm sorry, us. And, and the longer this was going on, the more consuming. And then we started to withdraw. Right. Then, then you just start saying, well, we don't want to be around anybody with children. We don't want to go to baby showers any longer. We don't want to go to birthday parties any longer. We don't want to even talk about this. Uh, it, it's uh, the couple gets affected. Intimacy can get affected. Um, you, 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 then uh, there's avoidance, and then of course performance anxiety for the man. Um, you, you, uh, sexual relations is no is, is goes from intimacy to work. Mm-hmm. You're on demand like pay per view, you know, and and it just goes, it spirals down into. Uh, an abyss of, of, of despair.
0: Right. And And I'm curious, how did it feel from a guy's perspective to see your partner in that much pain and going through this? I'm just so curious to see what you felt like as a man watching, you know, your, your wife
1: going through this. Yeah. Well, I had, uh, there were some issues with sperm. I even had surgery. Uh, I felt, first of all, I, I always Feel responsible for my family to do everything I can to make everything go perfect and and make things better, and I couldn't help my wife. Mm -hmm. And to me, I mean, my dad was the same way. He was a terrific role model, and I just couldn't believe there was nothing I could do to help her. So uh, we go through the treatment cycles, multiple IVF cycles. I go into clinical practice. We leave there and go to Charlotte and go into clinical practice. And Ali, all day long, my patients are crying during the day. All night long I go home to cry. Wow. And That's uh, intense. to see to see, you know, every every good partner, of course, when you see your your loved one suffering, you 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 just it it, it gets to the very heart of your existence and then to know that you could be responsible in some way mm-hmm. uh, for that. And so I didn't need anybody to blame me i was blaming myself mm-hmm. um and of course it's a couple's problem and it's not about the blame game but you can't get away from that so right. i had surgery she had surgery multiple ivf cycles she has a miscarriage she has a, 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 a diagnostic surgery then she gets hyperstimulated. i don't know how much you know about in vitro fertilization but mm-hmm. she's on fertility medications and gets overstimulated and uh have to draw off fluid from her abdomen because of that. and I mean, I'm just- Because it she was producing surreal.
0: so many eggs. Is that what was happening? Oh, yeah. 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 It, and did, it becomes surreal.
1: Right. You cannot believe this is now your life. Right. And- so
0: let yeah. me ask you this. I'm curious. Were you, so you're in the thick of it at work. You know, this is your profession. Did any of your medical studies give you like a leg up on what you were supposed to be doing? Or did you, you know, being on the inside of it, were you like, oh, this doesn't work? But this might work like did you have kind of an insider knowledge that you know other patients going through this don't have
1: well i think we pursued an excellent question and i think that we pursued it as long as we did which is 10 years i think we did that because of the inside and that it wasn't intimidating to us uh we we knew the process uh, there was comfort involved because my wife knew everything. I mean, I talk about all my patients all, all the time. And so it wasn't threatening. It was something that, okay, we're just going to do, go to his work, and you know, which she had always done. She always passed by. And, and so it, it wasn't um, anything new and intimidating. So uh, we, we were able to do that, but we did it for too long is the problem.
0: Okay. So how did you decide and when did you decide that it, you had been doing it for too long?
1: Well, it went long because I'm a stubborn Italian from New Jersey. (laughs) Okay, so... Those are
0: my people.
1: Yeah, those are your peeps. And that's me. That's right. I am born and raised and everything's up there. So I I just... uh, Adoption was foreign to me. Um, I felt embarrassed, foolishly. Mm -hmm. I felt um, uh, that uh, adopting children, they wouldn't be accepted. So we gave it one last go. When we left Charlotte, we were leaving Charlotte to join uh, a hospital uh, in Orlando to be director of reproductive medicine. And right before we left, we did one last IVF cycle. I mean, going through Charlotte, uh, when you said, you know, how does it feel about the medical issue? I thought you were talking about me medical. I was, I had anxiety. I had palpitations Mm -hmm. throughout this entire ordeal. When my wife was going through an IVF cycle, I mean, to give her injections, the progesterone injections, I was a wreck. I mean, I was not a physician. I was a, I was a husband and was you know, just very uh, taken by the whole process and, and very moved. Um, I, I, I was angry, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very, very common emotion. I was angry that I had to give my wife injections because it was hurting her mm-hmm. or making her uncomfortable. She was fine. I mean, my wife is a remarkable woman. She would have taken another 10 years if she felt uh, really that I really needed biologic children. Yeah. Um, So this is just her. And so that's the balance, I guess, right? I was just constantly blaming myself. And uh, even though it wasn't profoundly abnormal with the analysis, I just felt... I w- there's something I could do. There's something like I, the I should be able to do better. Is it so the main have,
0: provider kind of point of view? Oh my you? gosh,
1: of course. My dad was yeah. nonstop. He had multiple jobs. And, I mean, just we're providers. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that women do not provide, but I mean, right, I right. Just felt that that was my thing. Mm-hmm. And so we leave in Charlotte, the last IVF cycle, we were told it was a negative pregnancy test. And we, got a, we moved to Orlando. And then with the, within the first week or so of Orlando, she was complaining of being uncomfortable. Um, and pelvic pain and And then finally I did an ultrasound and I said, uh oh, I said this doesn't look good at all She had a huge mass on her ovary. So we brought it down to the ER and it's just a positive pregnancy test mm. and I'm sitting in the room with her and they told us the test was positive and I just started bawling I I, I I probably have cried twice in my life and that was one of them that I I just could not believe it now For everybody to understand, if you have a mass on the ovary and it looked like she was having some bleeding, and then you have a positive pregnancy test, you're worried about a ruptured tubal pregnancy. Yeah. So what we had been breathing for and dreaming for has now become our nightmare. We had a positive pregnancy test, and that was the last thing that we wanted to see at that point.
0: So you're not crying tears of happiness. This is like... This is our
1: worst nightmare kind of situation. Because she was rushed to the emergency, rushed so, to the operating room.
0: So wait, backing up a little bit, if you don't mind, were you you weren't her doctor who was treating her, right? But you said you did an ultrasound. Did you do the ultrasound on her?
1: Yes, I did the okay. ultrasound in my office. Uh, okay. We had a, 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 a clinic in the hospital. Right. Uh, so I did the ultrasound. I says, Babe, let's go downstairs uh, in the ER, and we need to get some blood work because I don't like what I'm seeing. Okay. Okay. So I. T- Tell my patients, you know, we said, I wasn't a doctor. I says, I'm a better doctor than I am a husband to get my wife pregnant. (laughs) So don't worry. I tell them at the first visit, don't worry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Have you had patients who are like, wait, this didn't work for you? Why would we think it's going to work for us? Have they? No,
1: but after this podcast, probably that may be the thoughts, right? No, but, um, no, I didn't. Uh, But I do have patients that don't know my story.
0: Yeah. And
1: after a while they either read about it online or something and say, and 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 they tell me i knew you had to have known because the way you were talking to us uh, right. no doctor no doctor gets what you get
0: yes so, i want to touch i want to talk about that a little bit more because i do think that that's something you bring to the table that is so unique and probably so comforting for your patients that you've been through this so you know like no
1: other what they're going through right right so she gets the ectopic pregnancy surgery, uh, and we start saying to ourselves, we may have done one other IVF cycle, even though I was just adamantly against that. I, you know, I, I backtrack a little bit, Allie. I was adamantly against any treatment. Right. I didn't why why want, so? Because I didn't want my wife to go through anything. I'll backtrack even further. Remember I told you we, we sat in the car for seven hours and we talked the night we met? Mm-hmm. Do you know by the uh, sometime during that time or early early after we started f- uh, falling in love i said i don't know how i'm going to be able to take watching you in labor i just didn't ever want to see her in pain and wow. uh, of course that's you know i i don't know that's a very simplistic way to look at it because the joy that that she would have experienced in, in delivering uh but she also experienced miscarriage and yeah. you know, it was just awful but going back to where we were another ivf cycle and then she said I think we need to adopt. And, and I uh, agreed. So our first adoption uh, a month before, uh, oh my gosh, what an experience that was, Ali. I mean, we, we go to uh, see the birth giver and she wanted to go out to a karaoke place. And I mean, we're drenched in sweat, uh, driving to go meet the, 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 ba- the woman carrying our baby.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: right before that, right before that, a woman uh, reneges and backs out. So we had a psychological miscarriage for our first adoption.
0: Wow, I've never heard it phrased that way, but yeah, Oh my gosh. That's
1: what uh, uh, every, every adoption is a psychological birth. I wow. mean, uh, my wife was in the delivery room for every one of our babies, except the twins who delivered early in, uh, in Nashville, uh, two pounds. Uh, the, the birth giver didn't make it down to Orlando on time. But okay. we go out w- with the birth giver and oh my gosh, I mean, what an experience. It's once again, surreal. I mean, you can't believe here's a woman who's carrying your baby.
0: Did it take a while for you guys to find this woman or how was the process for you in terms of the adoption agency Um, and getting matched with somebody?
1: Perfect, perfect questions. I tell all my patients, they say, oh, it could take years. I says, you become a pest to the adoption agencies. You keep calling, keep your application current. What else can I do? I said, they gave us our babies because they were tired of hearing from us.
0: Yeah. So how long did it take for you to, to, for the first adoption? Cause you've done more than one and we'll get into all that, but
1: yeah, um, I think within the year, all the babies wow. within the year. Wow. Okay. And my wife was in the delivery room uh, for, with, with, with uh, my oldest Mia. Uh-huh. And I will never, ever forget the first time I held Mia. I was, and I remember a family coming over and wanting to see her and everything. And I, I just, I said, no, I I, I needed to be alone with her. Mm -hmm. I was staring at her eyes. She's staring at me. I mean, it's just for all the people, for all the people that think that they are going to have different feelings with an adopted child, I I am here to tell you that that is not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your heart melts. Uh, You have an angel in your arms. That is... 180 percent dependent on you you are her or his parent mm-hmm. and that's all they know so our life with our little ones have been a blessing mm-hmm. uh my my children uh, i will never forget the time that they were on the, at, at the playground and uh, they had known they're adopted from very very young and when they started meeting friends in the playground, they would come over to introduce us to their friends and then whisper to us, yeah, but they're not adopted. <laughs> My kids think if you're not adopted, yeah, that's a little bit uh, of the more unique circumstance. Uh, so gotcha. it's so funny for us. Yeah, so how
0: many, yeah. tell me, um, if you don't mind, like just statistic wise. So you went through this infertility for 10 years. How many IVF cycles did you guys do? Do you
1: know? I think five or six, eight five retrievals six. and retrievals. multiple okay. transfers. But even before that, multiple IUI, which is artificial okay. insemination, intrauterine right. insemination. She had a couple of surgeries. I had surgery.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It was a varicocele uh, surgery for me. She had a laparoscopy Okay. and then two laparoscopies, one diagnostic and then one later on for the ectopic.
0: Okay. And then you adopted Mia. And then can you tell me about the other adoptions?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Mia... So I was done after Mia, I, I, <laughs> I told my wife, we will never have lightning strike the way we have. I get choked up talking about her. Uh, she is uh, the definition of life to me. She's my heir. Uh, she is, um, I couldn't imagine a, a better firstborn. She's a, a mommy's helper in a sense of, of uh, helping with all the other kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, from young, she knew how to to protect other kids and keep them in line. But that's, you know, I'm I'm just gloating and gloating. How old is she now? But I could, you know why I could do that. You know, I tell everybody, I could gloat and talk about the talents of all my children and not be blamed because they're adopted. They they don't get the talent from me. These kids are amazing.
0: (laughs) How Um, old are your kids now? (laughs) So
1: I have uh, Mia's 15, Alex is 12, Abby's 10. She's going to be the infertility doctor. She is absolutely convinced, and I, I, I know it. That's how oh, really? she is. just like me. Oh, yeah, just like me. Uh, and then uh, our nine-year-old twins.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So the next adoption, uh, we did everybody in Florida except the twins. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked about, well, we can go to China, we can go to Russia, we can go to different countries. And, and I just told my wife, I said, we're done uh, struggling and being inconvenienced. Uh, we have gone through, or she has, Uh, gone through enough uh, that I I said let's just do it local but it doesn't matter we get the Florida's a terrific state for adoption Uh, we get good attorneys and we just make it happen
0: right I want to talk about one of the things that because I believe you're working on a book is that
1: right Oh, thank uh, I don't, know, you. If yes. that's, I don't uh, know
0: if that's public knowledge. I can edit that out if you need me
1: to. But, no, it's um, it's. Uh, I I hope it's uh, public public public. Okay, knowledge. good. So
0: um, I want to read. I've I believe I got a little bit of a not an excerpt, but you know, like a couple of paragraphs from what you'd written. And you're a great writer, but I wanted to point out one of the things, one of the lines that you wrote that I thought really resonated with me and was so well said was when you were talking about avoiding family gatherings and birthday parties. You know, you said, our faces became pressed up against the windows of families and the glass seemed impenetrable. And I was like, oh, I know that feeling. It was such, it, just the way you phrased it, I thought was, was so well done. I don't,
1: I don't know why you're getting me choked up uh, during this interview, because um, <laughs> well, I, <clears throat> I haven't thought about it for such a long time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Um it it's a um it's a very unique circumstance mm-hmm. to to be on the outside um the outside fence of the playground yep. and <clears throat> to know that you're disappointing your wife and your life and you 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 had a plan for your life, and so many people then became aware of your plight. Um, that it it's it changes you. It changes you forever. Um, we finally fit in now. We we we. It's a glass ceiling, I guess. For we've gotten through the glass, and we now rejoice in being parents we didn't have oops pregnancies mm-hmm. uh when i come home and see my kids toys in the driveway i don't say let's get those car, things out of the driveway i can't get in the car i i can't believe that i have toys in the driveway mm-hmm. uh when i, I, I when that. my kids want to go somewhere and i have to drive them and i hear other parents say oh i can't wait for them to learn how to drive so i don't have to drive them I don't want my kids to learn how to drive because I I want to drive them everywhere. I, I just, um, I just feel that it's, it's such a privilege to be a parent now. And uh, in some way, Allie, I I think that everyone um, may want to just experience a brief feeling that they may not be able to be a parent. Mm. And that kind of fear goes through you like a knife, and it's, it's, um, it's very profound, um, it's panic, and um, uh, it, it, as I said, it changed my life forever, and, and the interesting thing is that when we were going to adopt, the process of adoption was offensive to me, initially. Why? In that, in that they come to your house, and they want to see if it's baby-proof. Mm. and if there's a pool around the gate and if, I mean, all things to prepare essentially, right? They're teaching us how to change diapers, uh, dogs and fencing yard and uh, home study, psychological profile. And I was telling my wife, my wife said, don't say anything. you know. (laughs) And And I said, I said, I can't believe this. I said, I'm a doctor. I said, who are they to come into our house? And I'll tell you this, Allie, everybody, everybody who's going to be a parent should have that kind of a home study. And I think it would be something that would uh, benefit uh, certainly for safety and, and just that kind of preparation for the enormity of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, my only problem with that is that, you know, the adoptive parents are the ones that typically uh, would do anything to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not the group to be spending all these kind of resources for, to prepare, to see if they're equipped, essentially, to be parents. So, wow. But, you know, that's the situation. I, I don't regret it. They gave us, oh, pediatric CPR. I mean, yeah. it was just amazing stuff to make sure. And I, I started saying, absolutely. I was fully on board saying that that's exactly what parents should be doing before uh, they have a baby.
0: Right. That's so interesting. I've never really thought about it that way, but you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have some questions from some of our listeners if you don't mind they're kind of all over the place but I would love to hear your take on a bunch of this different stuff but before we get into that I do have a couple more questions just in general what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions
1: about IVF oh good question um well I I I think uh every endeavor uh in in the journey with fertility has to have realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. I try to give my patients cautious optimism, but I also do not sugarcoat. Uh, if somebody is 43 and, and looking to conceive with IVF, uh, you know, I, I tell them the pregnancy rate is not good. You know, we're talking about in the 10 plus percent range. Yeah. Yeah. So the concept of IVF is uh, you know misconceptions. Uh, and I talk about it in my book, The uh, Fertility Doctor's Guide to Infertility. It's coming mm-hmm. out on uh, Harvard Common Press in mid-September. Yes. And, uh, and God, and, I
0: wish uh, I had that when I was going through this.
1: Mm, well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Ali. And so uh, one misconception is, 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 is it's a guarantee and it's not, mm-hmm. okay? Um, IVF uh, in the best of, of programs, probably in women less than 35, you should be able to see in the 50 to 60% live birth rate. Mm -hmm. As a woman gets older, it's going to get less, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, So a common misperception is that it's a guarantee. Another common misperception uh, is that it is um, uh, going to cause cancer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people fear the fertility medications. uh, And this is not something that is definitively been shown. There is some controversy over whether there might be a a localized, uh, an increase in localized breast cancer, a localized ovarian, which is called a borderline tumor, Mm -hmm. but certainly not been shown to be invasive issues. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Another uh, misconception is uh, birth defects. Uh, IVF is going to cause more of that. Now, this is an area that is definitely something that's somewhat controversial. But the interesting thing, Ali, is that uh, people in the fertility world have, I'm sorry, people who are trying to conceive, have about a three to 5% risk of birth defects naturally. And that's amazing. I mean, could you imagine uh, anybody trying to conceive? Three to 5% seems pretty high. Mm-hmm. So on, uh, um, without real explanation, fertility patients, no matter how they conceive, have a slightly higher risk of birth defects. Whether they conceive with IUI, IVF, or even naturally, Um, Now, the the advanced technology uh, procedure of ICSI uh, may have uh, a slightly high risk of birth defects. um, And we don't know if it's from the manipulation of the egg or the male factor problem. What is
0: ICSI for people who
1: might not know? I'm sorry about that. Uh, ICSI is um, uh, ICSI, so intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And that probably doesn't make it better either. You take a single sperm and you inject it into the egg for men who have severe male factor, and that really really overcomes fertilization. But the severe male factor might be the reason for uh, genetic increase in risks, uh, birth defects, as well as maybe the manipulation of the egg. Hard to say. Another myth um, of IVF is uh, I'm going to be Octomom. Okay. That, that
0: That was my misconception before I started IVF. I didn't know anything about it. And that's, I said that in my first, my story that I thought IVF was for like octo moms that wanted to have like a litter of babies. I was so misinformed.
1: Mm. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you want to do everything to reduce your chance of multiple births, then you do IVF Mm. and transfer a single embryo. Because if, if everybody, anybody who's on fertility medication knows that you get these medications to increase the number of eggs that you release. Normally, a woman releases one egg, okay? And that's ovulation. Now, every month, hundreds of eggs are getting ready to ovulate. Only one makes it, the rest dies off, mm-hmm. okay? So fertility medication pushes those eggs that month that were going to die off. And, and by the way, this is another myth. If I go on fertility medications, I'm gonna go into menopause sooner because I'm gonna use my eggs faster. Mm-hmm. You're not going to use your eggs faster because those eggs were going to die off. We're just pushing eggs that were going to die off, and that's an example of the inefficiency of human reproduction. So many eggs are wasted in a woman, yeah. And so many sperm. I mean, millions of sperm with every ejaculate, only one makes it. Is that unbelievable? It's
0: unbelievable. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Can I ask you a question about the medication? Of course. I just this just occurred to me. I've talked about this with friends before, where you know, you get this box of, you know, $4,000 worth of meds when you start IVF or more. And, you know, everything is so down to the number and it's so specific about you have to do this at this time. And there's so much, it seems like there's little margin for error. And I remember saying to my husband, reading all the instructions and you go to the class and learn how to give the injections. And I was like, we're pretty smart people. And I feel like, there's so many things that we can like so many different ways we can screw this up mm. and then we were like maybe it's not as precise as they tell you and they just tell you that it has to be so precise mm-hmm. so that for the margin of people you know that fraction of people that maybe do mess it up a little bit so i guess what i'm trying to say is is it does it have to be as precise as they really tell you it does or is there a little more wiggle room and they just don't want to risk it by telling you that
1: I think uh, the first answer is uh, usually there's a lot more wiggle room. Uh, the only one that is m- pretty precise is the final, what we call a trigger shot. Okay, okay. yeah. So after a woman's been on these, these fertility uh, medications, and they're typically injectable medications during their IVF cycle, we monitor them every several days. The follicles, cysts on the uh, ovaries that have eggs inside are developing. We do ultrasounds. And usually by about 10 days, the size of those follicular cysts or follicles, which are completely normal, are, are, are large enough that we feel that there's a good chance for mature eggs inside. So she gets that trigger shot, and that matures the eggs, and then within 36 hours, or, or rather, basically at 36 hours, give or take, You know, maybe an hour either way, but we really try to keep it rather accurate. Mm -hmm. The eggs get will get retrieved uh, in the surgery center, so that of all of the things that we do, that's the one that we get a little bit more strict about to make sure that it gets there.
0: Okay, good to know. Somebody asked, "Is there anything that you'd recommend supplement wise for somebody with both PCOS and endometriosis?" This particular listener had their IVF consults in
1: like three months. So I guess they want to know what they could be doing leading up to that. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm going to put a plug in for the PCOS Challenge. I'm on the board of PCOSchallenge.org, a wonderful foundation, the National Foundation. I was in Washington in March uh, advocating, uh, and I'll be going back. Um, next week t- to uh, Washington to try to get uh, insurance coverage for fertility patients with the American Society of Reproductive Medicine and Resolve. Oh, great. So PCOS is a wonderful organization. And, and uh, PCOS Supplements. I think that uh, there, there are several uh, good supplements uh, uh, over the counter and they are the inositols. I-N-O-S-I-T-O-L. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's um, one of them is called Pregnitude. P-R-E-G-N-I-T-U-D-E.
0: Okay. And, Is that like uh, when you're
1: uh, pregnant and you have a good attitude
0: or a bad attitude? Yeah, pregnant too. yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I had a pregnant
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you do. Well, you're from Brooklyn and you got the tude. <laughs> so um, that's a, a, a good uh, natural substance that improves what we call insulin sensitivity. Uh, patients with PCOS have some uh, minor defects or and sometimes even more defects in the cells receptors that, that grab uh, insulin, okay? Insulin is needed to be able to take up blood sugar, mm-hmm. glucose. So a defect in the insulin receptor causes insulin to be elevated. Well, elevated levels of insulin uh, um, will also increase male hormone production uh, and other uh, problems, uh, metabolic problems with PCOS um, that, that could result in cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and, and real big problems with PCOS. Mm-hmm. So those are, that's the supplement. The D, one is D-Chiro, D-Chiro, C-H-I-R-O, inositol, and then the other one is Myo, M-Y-O, inositol. And okay. even together could be pretty good. But while we're talking about PCOS, very important to make sure that uh, you do not have prediabetes or diabetes Um, In patients with PCOS, up to 40% are going to have prediabetes and up to 10% are going to have diabetes. So you want to get your blood sugars tested because it does increase your risk of diabetes in pregnancy and that is a complication. Okay. Uh, So good question about that. Uh, uh, On the side, all women should be on prenatal vitamins uh, with folic acid, usually anywhere from 0.8 to 1 milligram daily. May help with fertility, but it does reduce the risk of birth defects and this is what all the March of Dimes is about, mm. spina, uh, spina bifida, neural tube defects, okay? Mm. So very important about that. Endometriosis, not a lot of stuff that you could think about to help with supplementation uh, to improve endometriosis. It's a terribly, terribly frustrating disease and painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so about 10 to 15% of patients, uh, I'm sorry, 10 to 15% of the population have endometriosis. Um, that and, seems very oh, high. Oh, oh yes. A lot yes. of
0: patients with it, yeah.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Now, the, uh, in terms of uh, endometriosis, up to 50% of patients with endometriosis can have infertility, and up to 50% of patients with infertility have endometriosis. Mm-hmm. So there are four stages, and stage one and two, they're really debatable over whether it's true impact on fertility uh, and whether surgery is really going to be very valuable to help improve fertility. But stage three and four, very advanced, surgery seems to improve fertility. If you have endometriosis before IVF, there does seem to be a lower success rate uh, when you go into IVF. Uh, Not much more that you can do about that. Uh, But going back to PCOS, up to one in five women can have PCOS. Mm. So it's a tremendously uh, common problem and the number one ovulation problem in women. Okay,
0: another question is, Is there anything that people are doing? You know, there's so many different things, acupuncture. um, I mean, I went through so many things just grasping for any leg up I could get. I went to a psychic. I drank all these like woo-woo elixirs. Is there anything that you can say emphatically that people are doing that's a waste of time just to check that one off the list? You know, Is there anything you see that you're like, oh, don't do that?
1: Yeah, perfect question, Ali. And uh, and the reason why that's so important is that, as you know, and, and me, fertility patients are desperate. Yes. And, and with that desperation comes the risk of ex- exploitation. Yes. They, they will do anything that a healthcare provider, but even some friends or a stranger uh, may do. Uh, certainly, uh, the online uh, message boards and forums... Uh, are, are risk for misinformation. What not to do is to be unhealthy in terms of being overweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, cigarette smoking, bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly excessive alcohol use. But really, uh, alcohol may reduce fertility, even though probably a lot of children have been born as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there It could be a, a, a problem with fertility. Certainly no drinking alcohol during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, Coffee, more than two cups of coffee a day seem to be increasing risk of miscarriage. So that's about 200 milligrams of caffeine. Coffee is in chocolate and teas and sodas. So just be aware, I'm sorry, caffeine is. So just be aware of that. Um, Exercise uh, and uh, uh, maintaining also a good diet. The Mediterranean diet, has been shown to not only be be of good health, but there's some evidence that it can help fertility, particularly in the PCOS patients. Mm,
0: Okay. So
1: very good for for the woman in that respect. And for the man, yes, cigarette smoking is also bad. Mm -hmm. Um, It it has some genetic alterations of the sperm. Even passive smoke, Allie, can hurt the partner. Uh, So definitely behooves the man to stop smoking. Obesity in the man can also reduce fertility. It can affect the sperm by hormonal changes from the uh, adipose tissue, the fat cells, um, increasing estrogen and shutting down the brain signals. So I don't know if we wanted to talk about it, but uh, I've been interviewed a lot recently about the male factor uh, contributing to fertility. Yeah,
0: that was one of my next questions, actually. So go on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is really interesting. You know, for, for decades and even centuries, I think people thought that men were Immortal in terms of their fertility until they passed because they started making sperm with puberty and, and they continued thereafter But what we know now is that men uh, Older reproductive age and well, let's say a cutoff of greater than 40 to 45 although some studies say 35 um, Greater than 40 to 45 They have about half the fertility as a man less than 25 It takes them about five times as long as that man uh, 25 to conceive they have higher infertility, increasing miscarriage, mm-hmm. but also some increase in birth defects, preterm births. And now th- this is really uh, more, more scary, is that twice the risk of having offspring with autism mm-hmm. and, tw- and four to five times the risk of having offspring uh, with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no society is saying, hey, when a guy hits that age, just forget it. You can't father a child. Right now, all we can do is give them that information. And, and another interview I was on recently, we talked about you know, should a man freeze their sperm when they're younger? You know, a lot of women are looking into doing that. Right. I, I can't say it's a wrong idea. Uh, it's certainly not very costly um, and it's also not expensive for, for maintenance of the uh, sperm and it could be stored indefinitely. Is it less so- expensive than freezing eggs? Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, night and day. Why? To, to get the to get the eggs, they have to go on injectable fertility oh, medication. Right, right, right. It's obviously hard. Okay. Dumb question. Yeah. Oh, it's night and day. So I don't think it's such a bad idea, but egg freezing, yeah. uh, you know, that's a that's a whole other topic to talk about because it really needs to be um, a tremendous amount of information. Appropriate information needs to be given to the patient to avoid exploitation because there's lots of Companies and marketing to women to freeze their eggs, but it really has to be done for the right reasons mm-hmm. And with the right expectations as opposed to uh, Somewhat fearing women. Uh, yeah. that that they're going to be in trouble if they delay Well, first of all, thank
0: you so much for doing this and thank you for sharing your story and for you know Answering all these other questions, too. I think it's gonna be really really helpful to a lot of our listeners well, Thank you. Um, Ali. It's
1: my pleasure. And, yeah Tell you this now on the air that anytime you want me, just let me know.
0: Okay, good, good, good. I would love to end on this final question, which is what advice would you give to anybody listening who's having a hard time, struggling, maybe on the fence about, you know, which road they want to go down adoption, surrogacy, IVF, donor, egg or sperm? You know, what is there anything you've learned in your years of practice and treating all these?
1: You know, hundreds or thousands of couples. You know, it's- perfect. Perfect question to end on. Uh, the mistake I made, I tell my patients uh, and try to guide them to say, "Don't do what I did." And the mistake I made is that we waited ten years to have our children. And now, seeing what they are, I would have waited another ten years. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that you never get that part of your life back. So, fertility is a physical, emotional, and financial investment. I, by the way, I rarely say infertility. I hate that word. I say fertility. Yeah. I have never forgotten what it was like to be on the other side. And so uh, I am very, very sensitive about that. But it's a physical, emotional, and financial investment. This is now your project. Whether you want to accept it or not, this is the deal. Okay. And I w- wouldn't do it as, a, as uh, when you have free time, I would do it now. That this is we're going to leave. We're going to uh, eat, sleep, and breathe fertility, and we are going to put a timeline together about how far and how long we're going to go with this path before we go to this path before we go to that. Mm-hmm. I would put everything on the table right from the get-go. If you're less than 35 and it's been a year, start thinking like that. Or above 35, about six months. Above 39, three months. Mm-hmm. But put it out. On the table, if you have a partner, you basically talk about everything of how far and how long you're going to go and the direction that we're going to be seeing. What's your comfort level? Um, uh, what's, what's, on the, what's on the table, what's off the table? Um, and also make yourself avail of uh, reproductive health counselors because this is a life crisis. It should never be underestimated the devastation that a woman, a man, or a couple feel. Uh, and uh, I just hope that with your efforts and uh, uh, this kind of podcast and and other people advocating for this gets the awareness out there to be more sensitive to patients who are struggling, uh, who you don't see with children that you don't that, that you don't know if they have, and you may want to not want to bring that up. Thank you for your efforts at, at increasing awareness, Allie. Thank you
0: so much too. And when you say it's a life crisis, I think that's that's a really good way to phrase it. So, on that note, thank you so much for taking the time. I know I will talk to you again, and maybe even when you're in New York for your book release, I can come and say hi, and
1: we can. we would meet. love that. Uh, thank definitely. you.
0: Hey, again, guys. So I want to thank Mark again for being so open with us and for sharing not only a guy's perspective, but a doctor's perspective on infertility. And some of the things he said, I just thought were so interesting talking about the anxiety he felt having palpitations and how he had to deal with his patients crying during the day and then his wife crying at night. So thank you, Mark, for letting us into your life. And uh, I will let you guys know when his book drops in October. So thanks again. And I will talk to you next time.